What problem do you solve? What is your point of view on that problem? How do you evangelize that point of view? These are questions that many people can't answer very easily, whether they're an agency founder, solopreneur, or a founder of a tech startup. And this results in a lot of different problems for you. But to name one of the biggest, you are perceived as interchangeable. We are living in a world where there's too much information and too many options for services. And without being able to answer these questions, there's no clear reason why a prospect will see why they should reach out to you and buy from you instead of the hundred others that are making very similar promises. Today in B2B Strategies category design series, we're going to talk to John Ruji to figure out how to answer these questions. Craft powerful narrative, put your message into action, and show buyers why you're the only choice. So first, we're going to start with defining which problem we solve. After all, problems are what create market categories. Second, we're going to determine which one of the five go-to-market strategies we will use. And third, how to develop our point of view or the narrative that shows why our company matters and is truly different. How do we clarify the problem we solve? It seems so simple and obvious, but trying to clar clarify this for myself and for clients, I know it's very, very difficult. So from your experience, how do you clarify the problem that we solve? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's it's one that a lot of, I think, founders wrestle with because there's so many unsolved problems, things that need to, to be addressed to have so many paths to go down. But the way I like to reframe the question a little bit and ask you know, what question or what, what problem needs to be solved? And so one of the frameworks that you know, I learned from my time with category design advisors is you know, we, we try to look at what's changed in the world. We call it changes in context. And, and we, you know, the world is a pretty dynamic place. So we have things that are shifting all the time, like geopolitical conflict, interest rates. We have new technologies that are introduced. And the opportunity with that is all these changes create new problems. And those problems don't come with solutions they need somebody to go out and, and solve them. And so that's where I like to start is, you know, if there's a problem that's been solved by a bunch of solutions already, whether that's an agency, whether that's a software product or, or something else, if that's already a solved issue, then like building a business around trying to solve that better than someone else is, um, it's a tough road. I'm not saying you can't do it, but that's not attractive to most you know, founders and owners. So I try to think about, you know, what's what's changing the world and what's um, what's remaining for somebody to go out and address and, and really build something around. So sometimes we can unpack this further if you like, but sometimes that's like a, an entirely new problem. Other times, like there's a niche or a, a buyer segment within, you know, maybe they're stuck with kind of the status quo, the general purpose solution, but it's not really suited for them. And they've got some unique problems that you can go after. So. I mean, that's a long answer to your question, but um, oh. that's the way I think about it. So from personal experience, I think what I've had trouble with for myself, um, trying to figure out what problem I solve, how to clarify that, make sure I'm solving the right one, is that I think that there's a problem with the word problem. Mm -hmm. So I think in a lot of people's minds that aren't familiar with category design, problem can just simply mean symptom. So you know, when someone comes to us, like, I have a problem, I'm not getting enough sales. Or so that's more that's more of a symptom. So how, how do you how do you differentiate what the problem is and, and the symptoms that are caused that, that come as a result of the problem? Do you have any way of thinking about that? Yeah, it's this would be my framework, but I found like the the five whys framework is really useful to unpack that. So someone says, "Yeah, I'm not generating enough leads or enough business." Um, that's a pretty universal problem, right? So. Framing and positioning your business around that is too broad to really be interesting or unique to somebody. So we can start to ask, okay, why why is that? 
and chances are you're probably not going to get a satisfactory answer at that question, but you really need to dig deep. And um, you might get some, maybe it's something like, we'll just make something up, Dylan, like, oh yeah, the, the salespeople on my team aren't like trained well enough to close right. clients when they're on a call. Like, okay, why is that? They don't have any, any industry experience. Like we sell to, I don't know, you know, medical labs. They don't know anything about medical labs, but we're asking them to sell the software. Okay, so, and then we, then we can get to that problem. Then we can figure out, okay, well, what can we do to fix this? We're going to go help you hire people from that industry to be your sales team. Or we, we build a program to help like train your sales team about this industry really quickly and get them up to speed. Is this something like, how are people trying to solve that problem today? Is there a way to solve that? Or is this kind of just like a thing that you're stuck with? So yeah, yeah that, that, and it's a good question you asked because that's normally how it shows up. Is this, people don't really know, understand the solution. Like you go to the doctor, you know, this, I've got my shoulder hurts. Well, it could right, be right. Exactly. 20 different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you, that's your job is like <laughs> unpack that and figure out why. It's okay. Okay. So kind of see it like the way a doctor does by kind of figuring out the symptoms and then connecting the, the different pieces of the different data points to find the non-obvious problem kind of, is that what you're going at? Yeah. I mean, okay. maybe they know of the problem, but they didn't really, it might seem obvious to you from the outside. Sometimes when you, when you speak with folks, like they're so close to the issue that it's um, either they take it for granted or they haven't really looked at it with, with that fresh perspective. Right. Um, so yeah, it might be a non-obvious thing, but it might be a thing that's just been sitting there all along. You just had to like uncover it and, and present it. And, right. Yeah. Okay. And so with your, with your own clients, the way after, you know, you clarify the problem that you solve, you have to determine the strategy, right? So I, from your website, you, you say that there are three things, three different strategies. So winning, winning an emerging market, niching down or designing a category, right? Um, how, yeah. So how do we determine what are the factors to consider there? Yeah. It, those are the three there's, I think there's actually five. We, we can unpack okay. them if you like. Yeah. Um, so let, let me lay that out first. Cause I think that'll give more context to the, um, to your real question. Um, so when you look at, um, really any company, it doesn't matter if it's an early stage startup or a publicly traded company. Um, if you look at just the product itself, they're building. So I'm kind of oversimplifying this, you know, obviously some companies have multiple products or solutions. So I'm forget about that for, for a moment. Um, that solution it's, there's a, there's a category that like should encompass that solution at some point in time. So that's what we've got to figure out if you, um, so there's, let's kind of unpack those different scenarios. There's one scenario where you're trying, you really need to like build and introduce an entirely new category. And this, this happens a lot less than I think people think, but it's like, you've built something that's just so novel, so different from anything else that exists in the world that really the only way to, um, give it its due and to describe it properly is in the context of an entirely new. So we can call that like pure category design, if you like, um, Segways is kind of a failed product, but it's like an easy example for people to get because like there's no, there's nothing really adjacent even to what a Segway is. It's just this totally right. new thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So that exists, but it's not, it's usually not like the most common scenario. Um, a lot, what's a little bit more common is um, 
especially when you talk to earlier growth stage startups, is there's like an emerging space, an emerging category where you see a number of companies, they're kind of getting at the same thing. Um, yeah. Like to use an example in B2B SaaS, there's a bunch of companies trying to turn partnerships into more of a, a software-driven process, a data-driven process. Um, and like everybody's kind of got a different name or uses different language for what this thing is. It's still kind of a nascent space. Um, you, there's some, you know, a lot of interest among early adopters, but it's not like a thing that every company is using yet. So if I'm talking to a company in that space, they don't need to like develop and invent a brand new category. There's already the rough edges around it. Um, so what they're really trying to do there is put themselves in a position to be a winner or, or even maybe be the winner in that category as it emerges. Right. Right. Okay. So that's a little bit more common. A third one is um, categories already established. Market category has like a bunch of players. There's like a go-to solution, you know, the equivalent of like a sales force for that space. And so it's not about trying to dominate that space. Um, it's more about trying to identify a niche within that space that's underserved by the by the general kind of standard solution. Um, so like we'll stick with CRM, like maybe nonprofits have unique needs for what they, they need their CRM to do that Salesforce doesn't address. So maybe that's a niche that you can pursue and build a uh, product around that. Or um, there's a company called Viva Systems that started off doing that. They built a CRM for, for life sciences and then they just solved pro software problems for life sciences businesses, and now they're a multi-billion-dollar business. Um, and then the the last two, so I told you there were five. So number four is like when you're leading a category already, like you're the category king. People go to you; they assume that you have the the best solution, um, and you're trying to figure out how to grow that category and evolve it forward. So you're not getting left behind or creating an opportunity from, for some startup to come in and, you know, totally rethink what you're doing and, and dis disrupt you. And the, the fifth one is really like a consolidation play where you're, you're taking a couple of, you know, two or more point solutions and you're bringing them together into a, a more of a platform. And then that platform, hopefully that platform is like greater than the sum of the parts. And that represents Maybe that represents a new category or at least a new way to position yourselves that's um, I would consider kind of a distinct play from those others. Okay. To go back to the example for the, um, the emerging, winning an emerging market. Um, so I wanted to kind of see if we could find an example. Now, if, if, I'm, if I've done my category design research correctly, would you say that Apple did this because there were in you know in that category they were you know they were not the first to do what they did but they kind of claimed the the space and owned it and that is what kind of took them off so it was kind of an emerging thing they didn't create it they weren't the first one to create it but they yeah. won that emerging market would would that be an example which which product of theirs are you talking about we can pick one and unpack it like i mean the yeah. i think the, you know the iconic ones the most obviously now there's division pro we can talk about that. We can talk about the iPad, yep. the iPhone. We can talk about the, um, uh, like their graphical user interface, which they didn't invent. Um, like any of those were like all of, now that I think about it, I don't think they were the first in any of those spaces. So you pick one and we'll, we can unpack it if you want. 
All right, well, let's go with the with the iPad because I, I I've also read some things about how Microsoft tried to tried yeah. to get into that space and it didn't work because they weren't the one that claimed it. They were just yeah. trying to do the 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 better be better than the iPad and it didn't work for them. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's that's an interesting space because Apple was not the first company to develop like what we would more generally call a tablet computer. Um, but there was a distinct difference between Apple's philosophy to that um, device and what other manufacturers are doing. The other way, the way other manufacturers had approached it prior to that is they basically treated it as like a, a cheap or tiny laptop. So they, they right. built it in the context of like, this thing needs to do all the things that a laptop needs to do, but it needs to be smaller and more compact. And so what they ended up with was just a really crummy laptop. And there was a, I guess there was a market for like some people just really wanted something really small. Like I'm not saying that there wasn't a need at all, but it was just a very small that really wanted something like that. And so if you go back and watch um, Steve Jobs talk about the iPad, um, he frames it in the context that you and I were discussing at the beginning of this call, like what's changed in the world and what's that's what's a new problem or situation that's come about that, that right. needs a solution. So what he, he discussed was, okay, we have laptops and they're great for all of these, you know, work intensive things that we need to do editing, you know, creating movies, spreadsheets, you know, all, all these things. And we have our phones, which are great for like you know, lightweight tasks and making phone calls and texting people. But what has changed is that people are starting to consume so much more digital media. So like Netflix or YouTube or eBooks, all these things that um, a laptop was kind of overkill. Like it's kind of ironic. Most people don't want to put laptops on their lap anymore because they get too hot. At least. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, And then like, you don't want to sit down and watch a movie on your phone. Right. right? So he said, we're, we have this, you know, change in behavior where we want to consume all this media digital media, but we don't really have a device that's built for that. And so that's the way he framed the um, the iPad. It wasn't like, here's a, a smaller, cheaper laptop. That's That was that would be positioning the device in the wrong way. He positioned it as a media consumption device, which is exactly what it was really good at. And then, you know, later on, people started to use the iPad for other things, but he created that initial um, idea in the minds of buyers early on. And it wasn't just like a, that he marketed it better. That's truly when you look at like how they built the iPad, the things that it, like the features that it had, the things that it didn't have, it was built around that philosophy. And and yeah. I think that's why it excelled. I think, and I think for the audience, I think I want to kind of uh, talk about how you, how you just kind of, what you call framing the problem. You just kind of talked about the context that has kind of led to that problem. So it's like the context is, how people use laptops, how people use phones, and that that context is kind of you can find the missing in there, and that missing was the iPad. And by being able to explain that problem, you can become the the solution, you know, the obvious solution to it, um, right. which I guess Apple Apple has done really well. Yeah. So okay, so th- those are the the five different strategies. So after we determine our strategy, um, how do we start developing our point of view narrative that shows why our company matters? What are what are the general steps that we're going to take? Yeah, well, there's so really two things that when you're developing a point of view that it, it should it should do for you as as kind of an outcome, and one is very tangible, the other is less tangible, but they're equally important. 
The first is you need to know how to make the case for why your business needs to exist and what what why your business is different. What um, and your your point of view is designed to help you do that. Um, it's not a document that maybe you'll share verbatim externally, but it serves as the foundation for the story you tell about why you're different and why you matter to buyers. So when we build a, a point of view, I like to think about it like a um, like a good trial lawyer. So like you watch a courtroom drama, like a you know a good movie with a you know good courtroom scene in it, and what the lawyer is doing is like they're making a case, like a, they're presenting a series of facts in such a way to where you really can't see things any other any other way. It's unassailable. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do when we build a POV is we're looking for facts. Um, we're looking for things that have changed in the world, like you and I were talking about. So we're trying to get people to see why is the situation today different than how it was maybe a year ago or three, right. five years ago. So we make that case. Then we look for facts about um, what people are experiencing as a result of these changes, problems, ramifications, consequences of not right. um, solving this problem. And then you're kind of getting people to nod their heads. You're, okay, yeah, I see this. I see that. I understand there's a problem that's not being addressed. And then typically what you do is you're trying to like deposition some other things that have maybe been presented as solutions to that problem. So like, here's why this doesn't right. work. Here's why that doesn't work. So you're starting to get them to see, okay, things have changed. There's a problem. There's not really a good solution. And then if you can go even further on a pack, like why these other things haven't really worked and really get like as nuanced and detailed as you can, you're almost like mirroring what the solution looks like before you even describe the solution. Yeah. So you go through all that and then you've kind of earned the right to tell somebody why a new solution should exist. And you've opened up their mind to want to hear about it. Then you can start describing from like a categorical perspective. Here's how this solution would work. And again, you're basing this all on your deep understanding of the problem. And um, so it almost seems like obvious that this solution is designed in this way. And then you can kind of go on to talk about the things that your company is doing specifically to build this new category or win this category or, you know, carve out this niche. But um that's what we're doing. It's like, we, you, your question was like, how do you go about building it? What we're trying to do is uncover truths in the world, line those up with things that our company has built or is capable of building, and then weave those into a story about something, making the case for something new. So that's the that's kind of the first piece is now we've done that. We can I can now go, like as a CEO, I can go on stage and tell a really compelling story about why my company is different. As a marketer, I can take that raw information and I can start to make much more powerful copy on my website. Or, I, or if I'm working with the sales team, we can create a pitch deck that may, maybe it's weighted differently. Like we're not spending 30 minutes telling this big, powerful story, but like I'm dropping in these, um, these pieces of data, pieces from our POV that help buyers you know, see things and help me frame things the right way. Right. right. So that's the tangible piece. The intangible piece is most um, most companies that I talk to, especially if they're a little bit more mature, they're in like a growth stage or maybe they're just a going concern. Their executive team, if you talk to you know eight people on the executive team, you you get like five, four or five different stories about how to describe everything we just talked about. In other words, yeah. I said, Dylan, 
okay, you're the CFO. Tell me your point of view about the company. Right. And I get one version. Then I go to the CMO right. and it's degrees off. <laughs> and I talk to the CEO and he's like, well, I don't know who, you know, who to listen to. Or maybe they have a very, very strong conviction, conviction and it's totally in another direction. And right. so really the, it's the process of like going through that, debating and discussing and aligning the team where a lot of the value comes. Um, and it's intangible because you can't see it. But if you can get the team to stop like spending its energy and time, like going around and around on who are we, how are we going to talk about ourselves? Now they can go back to the job that they're actually there to do and want to do. Everybody feels so much better <laughs> about the work after that point. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it's important to note that I think there's a big misconception perhaps about what a point of view is. I think on LinkedIn, I see it all the time when they talk about the story, you know, about why they're different. They just mm -hmm. make the story very focused on them. And mm -hmm. I think what, what you're talking about here is, is not so much, you know, a, like a personal story or point of view. It is, you know, why it is, why the space needs to exist, what the problem is, the context, right? What, what's missing. And that's, that's the point of view. It's not so mm -hmm. much, you know, I was struggling, whatever. And this is, you know, not me focused. Um, I think that's, that's important to, yeah. to point out. That's a, that's a good point, Dylan. And, um, it's not really about you. It's about like, what you see is being true in the world. And and the other thing that I'll say too, that I think some people miss is that a good point of view, it needs to be a story that really only you can tell, or at least only you can tell that well. If, right. if you're developing a point of view and it's kind of the same story that three or four other people are telling, that's, it might help you to a degree. It might help grow the category at large, but it doesn't really set you up um, in any better position than, other people in this space. So, um, hopefully you're like, you're going a little bit deeper and you're talking about, you either have a unique understanding of the problem or a take on the problem that other people don't, or your, um, your view on what the solution looks like is different enough to where it aligns, um, more powerfully with a certain type of buyers. So that's, I, I, I'm, that's interesting. So the way you had said, you know, only like a the point of view only that you can tell that makes me think that it has to be connected to me. So how could you elaborate a little bit more on that? So how, how do I make my point of view, point of view unique as someone else can't tell? So it's a, a unique understanding. So a really deep understanding of the problem. Mm -hmm. How is it that, that my, someone else couldn't have also have a deep understanding of that problem? Yeah. Well, it's going to look different based on those different category scenarios I described. Right. Um, so like, let's pick an emerging seems to be uh, the case, like a, a very common situation. Um, what, what I found happens. So let's realistically, not every company in your space is going to go like invest as much time and energy as you are and really unpacking their narrative. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to do in that case is show that we understand the problem better than anyone else. So it's not that it needs to be like holistically different from how others might see this space. But if I can get to a level of nuance and detail that shows like, I'm not just giving this um, a surface level view, like I'm, I'm demonstrating that like I'm a true missionary about understanding this. Like I've invested a lot of time in talking to customers or people in this space to, to really like get at the heart of, of what's going on. 
that's to me that's unique because my depth of understanding is deeper um and like i just to use an example from my own situation i was talking to a client the other day and she said i feel like you understand us perfectly because i had said something about what i thought the dynamics of their team were just making some assumptions from other customers i talked to and it was true in that case as well right and could could others get to that same observation sure like I had taken the time to really unpack that and understand that well. And I think when you do that, you've, you're, you're really making the case that you're the company best suited to create the right solution for that, for this problem. Um, let me give you another example though, in a different scenario. So like, let's pick a really mature category. We let's pick CRM again, as an example, this is about as mature as a SaaS category can get. So the, the, you're not at that point, you're not trying to sell people on why they need a CRM. That's a given. You don't need to do that 10 years ago. What you're, what you should be trying to do is have a point of view about what a CRM needs to look like in the future. And maybe your point of view is maybe you're a Microsoft and you're Dynamics 365. Maybe your point of view has something to do with like interoperability between other like tools within your for a software suite and some sort of like problem that it addresses or some way it enables you as a salesperson or a leader of a sales team. Uh, maybe I'm just making this up, but if you're Salesforce, maybe your point of view is more about like AI or something like entirely different. And so maybe you're both right and you serve different audiences. Maybe one of you is wrong and like that was the wrong call. But if you're both trying to make the same claims about um, where to, where to go, then you're just reducing your ability to be seen as unique. And, um, if you're not the company that's leading the category, you're just echoing somebody else's point of view. And then you, you kind of hold those two up together and you, okay, both these companies are kind of telling the same story. This one is like trusted by hundreds of thousands of people. This one has like fraction of customers. Who am I going to choose? The choice is already made for you. Right. I think that would also be a key, a key point in there to do languaging, to give a names to the problem, the solution, to show that you understand that problem better than anyone else because you gave a name to it. And that's just, that's psychology. Uh, yeah, absolutely. How does that point of view narrative affect our entire business? Uh, I think this would be the last question I want to touch up on. Um, yeah. How does it, you know, it's not just for the website. It gives, it's what gives the business life, right? It's why the business mm-hmm. exists. So how does it affect everything we do? Well, when you think about like the things that happen one layer up from your your point of view, um, so immediately above that you have things like positioning, which is the the contrasts you choose to make bet- between other things that exist in the world. So category designers should think about positioning. It's not an either or thing. You have your messaging, which is like how do you translate that into like tactical, like product feature level copy that like still supports your story, but provides more detail. You have like your brand identity. So even like your logo and your colors, your personality, those should reflect your, your point of view. And then above that, you have your go-to-market strategy, which is like all the tactics your sales and marketing and CS team are doing to go out and make money for the company. When you asked how it affects those things. So those first four things I just described, your positioning, your messaging, um, your brand identity, and I, well, I skipped one. Let me hold on a second. Let me uh, 
I just posted about this today, so it should be fresher in my mind, but we got it up here. Oh, your product roadmap. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So your, your product roadmap, those are all like extensions of your, of your point of view, right? So like you wouldn't build a product roadmap blind of your, of your point of view and what problem you're trying to solve. In fact, your point of view is an extremely powerful lens for figuring out what goes on and off the product roadmap. You don't work on positioning and messaging without referencing your, your point of view. You don't think about um, your brand identity. Your brand identity should be informed by your point of view, not the other way around. So what I'm getting at is your point of view helps you do all those things really well, and it helps you do them cohesively. So they're all working together in concert. They're not like these different exercises that different parts of the team did in isolation. You get those pieces really solid. That makes your go-to-market strategy much more um, informed, much more better equipped to succeed. So now you're at the go-to-market strategy level. You're building a marketing campaign. You're thinking about what's the mindset shift we want to make in the minds of our buyers. All comes down to your point of view. It comes down to you know the, the contrasts you made through your positioning work. It comes from the uh, the core messages that you develop in your messaging framework. So this is a long-winded way of saying like your your point of view helps you do all those things really well. It helps you do them in a unified manner and it and it actually makes that work so much easier. If you ask a marketer to like go write your website copy and they don't have a core idea of like what what you're trying to do as a business, it's a it's a really hard job. They'll come up with something that sounds very clever, but it doesn't right. really tie back to business strategy. Yeah, so all the the typical business uh messaging that's you know worldwide world-class solutions and whatever that <laughs> right. means absolutely nothing exactly. <laughs> to anyone <laughs> right. i hope this episode helped you understand how to clarify the problem you solve and develop a point of view around it to show buyers why you're the only choice a big shout out to john for joining me today if you need help designing a narrative he's the man for the job definitely send him a message on linkedin hope to see you all next episode